that's it in the way of announcements. If, please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts. And we left off in Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Woody and Bev are headed out with Village Missions, and they're going to come and share that. Many of you know Bev and Woody. Uh, they've been here for years, and God's been preparing them and uh, training them. So I'll let them share more. Please welcome Bev and Woody. Thank you. Uh, yes, as Eric said, uh, we are leaving, and we will be leaving shortly um, into going into Village Missions. Uh, Village Missions is a group that's been around since 1948. And what they do is they serve little communities in the United States and Canada. North America is the only area of the world where Christianity is not growing. It's not necessarily decreasing, but it's not growing. Uh, you heard uh, Pastor Ken a couple of weeks ago talk about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah, and Philip asked him, do you know what it means? And he says, how do I know what it means unless someone explains it to me? Well, there's little churches out here that don't have pastors. They're in little towns and little communities uh, that don't have enough money to support a pastor, but they have a church. So what Village Missions does is they send out missionaries as pastors to fill the pulpits of these little churches. What they have called us to do is to be like an interim pastor. We're going to go out to this little church as it comes online and fill the pulpit until they get a missionary there. And how we got here is about four years ago, um, as I was teaching in men's studies, God took my job away. And I went to Pastor Dan and I says, listen, I'm now unemployed. Uh, we've lost half our income, you know. And Dan said, it's going to be a wondrous thing to see what God has to do. And one passage of scripture came to me. And it's in uh, Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. And it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring, uh, bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Unless these communities have someone who can teach them, they're not going to know the word of God. Matter of fact, there are some of these little churches that have been denominational churches that have had someone in the pulpit, and they go in and they say, what do you know about the gospel? And they go, what's the gospel? So this is what God has prepared us to do. We're going to go out and we're going to teach them the gospel. We're going to have a mission field sitting out in front of us. Then we're going to have a mission field in the community. Some of these communities are 99 people. Some of these communities are 250 people. Some are a little larger. So 
we covet your prayers. Uh, we're going out. We're pretty self-sufficient. So uh, support we do not have to raise. However, we're looking to get a trailer because we're going to be moving every three months to a year from one place to another as these churches come on. Uh, after the service, we have a table out there. Please come out. One thing we do covet is your prayers and support. So come out, give us your email so we know who's praying for us and we can send, send you information about where we are, what we're doing, and what kind of success we're having. Because as Eric stands up here and anybody who stands in front of the pulpit knows, can't do it without prayer because as soon as we step out and go out into the field, Satan is going to attack us. So we covet your prayers. So thank you very much. And uh, it's, <laughs> we're going to miss all of you. And pray for you. Let's pray for you. All right. Let's pray for Bev and Woody. So, Father, we just thank you for Woody and we thank you for Bev and Lord, all that you have done in their lives. It's been awesome to see them grow, Father. And uh, we thank you for their heart to introduce people to you and we know that they're going to be in a lot of different places and a lot of different churches, and we pray that you would give them grace. We know that you're going before them, and you give them favor uh, with them, God. And we do pray uh, for these small communities, Lord, that need pastors, as uh, Bev and Woody are there in the interim, that you would raise up pastors, and there would be a revival through our land. There would be a revival in these uh, small communities. And I'm sure there's many, Lord, living around these cities that have never heard your name, never heard the gospel. So we pray you'd bless them and encourage them. Give them wisdom, protect them, bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, you bet. That's exciting. You know God's calling because they're looking at places like uh, Deer Trail, Colorado. I mean, have you ever heard of that? And then another is Coldwater, Kansas. I mean, these are not real destination places, if you know what I'm saying. So, all right, anything else that I forgot? So. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> How's your guys' day going? Pretty good? How many, I'm, I'm having a great day. I'm having a good day. How many of you, it's just super busy to get here on a Wednesday night? coming from work. <clears throat> How many of you have got maybe some stresses that are on your heart tonight? handful. So as we prepare to get in the Word, let's just meet with the Lord. We're going to spend a few extra moments in prayer. And as you have things on your heart and people on your heart, uh, let's give that to the Lord. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful that we can gather together as your, as your people and that you love us. We want to take a moment just to meditate upon your goodness, upon your character. And as there's attributes of God that come to your heart and your mind, just quietly in your own heart, thank the Lord for who he is. Father, I thank you for your steadfast love, that it's unchanging, that you have unconditional love for us. Thank you that your truth is unchanging, that you're consistent. You're the anchor of our souls. As you know somebody that is hurting, that's in need, I lift them up by name to the Lord in prayer.
And now as you have concerns on your own heart, burdens, needs, just lift that up to the Lord. He asks us to, to come to him. And finally, just ask for an open heart and open ears, that fertile soil for God to plant his word. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Acts has been fabulous to study together because we see the Spirit of God on the move. It's the movement of the Holy Spirit. And what is special and unique is God's people, the church, is listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Not walking by their own plans and their own agendas, but according to God's ways. And each page that you turn in the book of Acts is God knocking down these huge monumental walls. A couple weeks ago, as we were in Acts 10, we saw Cornelius praying to God, this Gentile centurion, this Gentile officer. And an angel comes to him and says, you need to go send for Peter. And Peter's being prepared, and he goes to Cornelius Cornelius is saved. The first Gentiles come into the church. Also, we find that his whole household is saved. The barrier between Jew and Gentile is being broken down. As we go into chapter 11, we're going to see that Peter's questioned on this. They're like, really? You ate with someone who's uncircumcised? Peter, you're breaking all of the rules. It's hard for us to understand, even as Jewish Christians, as Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah, there was still a tremendous amount of prejudice in their hearts and in their minds. And one of the things you maybe have noticed is prejudice dies hard even in the midst of God's people. Bitterness, hatred, anger, all of those things is something that God really has to work out of us. I think if you were to ask the early church, the Jewish church, do you believe that God loves everyone? Absolutely. Do you believe that Jesus died for Gentiles and rose again? Absolutely. Do you believe in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations? Absolutely. When was the last time that you talked to a Gentile? Never. When do you plan on talking to a Gentile? Never. You know? And it's easy for us to believe things up here, but then set a big barrier with other people. So this is a monumental of breaking down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. So verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard the things the Gentiles had also heard that the Gentiles had also received the word. So they get news of what has happened at Cornelius' house. And Jerusalem's the headquarters where the church leaders are. It travels to them. Now notice the response of some in verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. They heard the whole story of Cornelius receiving Christ, of speaking in tongues, his whole entire household receiving the filling of the Holy Spirit, and all they have to say is, really, Peter? You went and ate with the Gentiles? You didn't touch any bacon, did you? You didn't have a bacon cheeseburger, did you? And we see in their hearts how they'd been filled with prejudice 
And they weren't willing to let it go. So Peter now, he responds to this allegation and he retells the story. It's very similar to chapter 10. It's in scripture for us twice. When God does it, it's point of emphasis. He's giving it to us for a second time so we wouldn't miss it. So going on into verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in the order from the beginning, saying, I like the self-control here amongst Peter. It would have been very easy for him to be on the defensive, but he's simply going to explain. He's going to explain from the beginning. In verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And this probably rings a bell for you. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. These are unkosher animals from the law that God said the nation of Israel wasn't to eat. Here's God's message to Peter. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Get some good barbecue sauce. It's time to go. Peter's response to this But I said, not so, Lord. We talked about how that's a contradictory statement if Jesus is Lord of our lives. But how many times do we say, not so, Lord? For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. So since his childhood, his whole entire life, he's never eaten anything that was unkosher. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. So three times he receives this vision of these animals on this sheet. And God says, go ahead, kill and eat. And this Peter's response, not going to do it. And God says, here's the message, Peter. What I have cleansed, don't call common or unclean. Now tonight as we approach the scriptures, there's, there's somebody difficult in your life. I would imagine there probably is. And are we seeing them through God's lens and God's heart? Now, no matter where they're at with the Lord, we know two things are absolutely true about them. One is God created them. Can we agree on that? They're created by God. And since they're created by God, they're created in the image of God. Each person bears the image of God. Life, the sanctity of life is something to be valued because it bears the image of God. So this person that's difficult in our life was created, is created by God. Then also, we know that Jesus died for them. Agreed? So they're created by God for whom God loves enough that he died for them. And it's easy for us to kind of push people off to the side, say, never mind them. I'm going to put them in the Gentile category. Most of the time, we won't say it out loud. Sometimes we will. You know, if we've been hurt bad enough, And we'll express it that they're in the outcast, unclean category. But most of the time, it's seen in our actions. It's seen in our body language. It's seen in the way that we talk about them when they're not around. And then God begins to confront that and begins to put into us a heart where we begin to pray for them. We begin to to love those that have been mean to us and despitefully used us. And and then it may even be that, that God calls us to go to them, to go to them with the love of Jesus Christ. This is what Peter's going through in this experience. In verse 11, at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. I love this. God's working on both parties. 
He's working on Cornelius, but he's also working on Peter. This vision ends. Peter's trying to understand what it means. And here's these three men. Verse 2, verse 12. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. The still, small voice of the Spirit says, I want you to go with them. And that's what's interesting in chapter 11 is we find the account from Peter's perspective is God communicates through the word of God and also through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And we want to begin to recognize the voice of the Spirit in our lives. And sometimes it may be as simple as you're driving in traffic and you start to not pay attention. Imagine that. And all of a sudden you hear this still small voice in your spirit saying, look up. And the Spirit of God saved you from an accident. It could be God's Spirit that puts on your heart to go into your child's bedroom at 10, 11 at night and you think they're, they're asleep. And as you go in, you find that they're crying and they have been crying for some time and they had a bad day at school or they're thinking about this or thinking about that and you would have never known to, to go in if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit may say, you know what, I want you to go over and talk with this person and just start to see how their day's going. Or right now you need to call your mom, you need to call your dad, you need to call this cousin, this niece, this, this nephew. That's where the Christian life gets exciting and that's where the Christian life also gets fruitful. We know that we're the vine or we're the branches, he's the vine. And we can't do anything on our own, can we? And very practically, that's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke to, to Peter in this moment. How do we know that it's the Spirit of God? Have you ever thought it was the Spirit and it wasn't the Spirit or talked with someone that says, well, the Spirit of God's telling me to do this, but what the Spirit's saying, quote unquote, is completely opposite to the Word of God? The Spirit of God's always gonna line up with the Word of God. So we've gotta test that with the Word of God. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house. Peter knows he's in some scary territory here, that this could get him in trouble. So he takes six guys with him as his accountability to verify what's taken place. In verse 13, and he told us, this is Cornelius, how he'd seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname or nickname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. The angel didn't bring the gospel because that's not the angel's job. The angel says, I want you to go get Peter. Peter's going to tell you the gospel. Remember Peter, as he was sharing, the Spirit fell on them. They began to speak in tongues. This was the kicker for Peter. This is what convinced Peter that they were saved the same way that Jews were saved. Because you remember in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit fell on them. And the same Spirit that was given to them was given to the Gentiles. No difference. Church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, please understand, I hope you know this, God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have favorites based on ethnicity. He doesn't have favorites based on church. You know, there's not one church that God likes better than another church. Jews, Gentiles, he died for us. He rose again so that we could be saved and we share the same spirit. We, we share the same spirit of God. We go into verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, 
but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of John the Baptist. His was a baptism of repentance, and Jesus promised to bring people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what Cornelius and his household experienced. What does the word baptism mean? It means to be immersed. So Christ's intent was to immerse us in the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this quite a bit through our study in Acts, but it's a good reminder we shouldn't be scared of being immersed in the Spirit. And I know for some it brings a lot of baggage, and you start to think, oh no, am I going to start barking like a dog or flopping around on the floor? No, you don't see any of that in the book of Acts, do you? You see people living radical, sold-out lives in love with Jesus Christ, taking steps of faith. It's going to take us out of our comfort zone. It's going to challenge us in some areas of weakness, some areas of sin. Amen? The Holy Spirit's good at doing that. But there's nothing in the Holy Spirit. He's part of the Trinity. He is God that we should be afraid of. As we surrender to the Holy Spirit, that's where the fruit of God begins to flow in our lives. Verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Seeing the filling of the Holy Spirit made Peter realize that God was in this and he couldn't oppose the Lord. Who is he going to try and withstand God's work? I mean, think about it if you're Peter. You're just wanting to eat lunch. You're praying leading up to lunch and God gives you this vision. Before you know it, you're at Cornelius' house. They get saved in a radical way. And Peter's like, God's doing something here. Have you ever been in this place that Peter's in where your toughest critics are amongst the people of God? God's moving in an incredible way. And you think people would be excited and be encouraged. And you go share it with people in the church and then they look at you this way. And they start giving you the Sherlock Holmes and the detective look. And is that really the Lord? You better, you better explain that to me. Did, did you just eat with, with Gentiles? Yeah, I sure did and they all got saved. What were you doing eating with Gentiles? Don't you know we're not supposed to eat with Gentiles? And a lot of times we don't expect this. We don't expect that there's going to be opposition inside of the people of God. Peter is very patient in this process, and it's important because notice what happens in verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. What do you think was happening in the silence? Conviction. They're dealing with their own bias. They're dealing with their own prejudice. Oh man, this is some new information. I'm gonna have to wrestle with this a little bit. They received the same spirit as we did. They, they responded in repentance and faith the same way we did. And in this moment, they owned the hardness of their hearts and they began to glorify God. They began to recognize what God was doing. And as they glorified God, then they give this testimony. The Lord also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Up until this point, the church is primarily Jewish, and they're living in their box. They're living in what is culturally comfortable for them. They don't want to be pushed. They don't want to go outside of it. They love the church growing and expanding as long as it's people that are like them. Could it be possible that we have some kind of prejudice in our hearts and our lives? Is there a group of people that are created by God for whom Christ died 
that we may have a prejudice against. And you start to think about it and think about comments maybe that you say. Or when you think about this group of people, what starts to go out in your heart. You start to think things like, what if God sent me to this place? Oh, oh no. We don't have lunch with them, you know. I'm not comfortable around them, you know. Who's the the ultimate outcast, if you would? It's all of us compared to God. And Jesus left his comfort zone. He went out of his way intentionally. God became man in human flesh so that we could be saved and we could know the love of God. Allow the spirit of God to begin to search our hearts, that our hearts would break for all people. Maybe it's not a group of people, but it's an individual it's a, it's a person that has hurt you. And they become that Gentile in your, in your heart and your mind. Allow the Lord to do a work. What I find fascinating in verse 18 is that they responded to the movement of God. God was doing something and they, they recognized, say, okay, I get it. I'm responding to it. I'm glorifying the Lord for it. So verse 19 now is a transition verse. And it moves to the church in Antioch, but it's still tied to this Jew-Gentile issue. We've seen a Gentile family get saved, and now we're going to see a Gentile church that has Jews and Gentiles be birthed. So let's look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to the one, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. The outline for the book of Acts is Acts 1 verse 8, that the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is being fulfilled as we read and as we go through. Started off in Jerusalem, then went to Judea, the surrounding region, then Samaria, now to the uttermost parts of the earth. What got the church to spread out? Persecution. Stephen was martyred. So now they head out into these regions. But notice, as they're going out, who are they talking to with the gospel? Only Jews. That's a lot of work. That is right there. Hmm, there's a Gentile. They look like they're having a bad day. I'm not going to tell them about Jesus, you know. There, there's an open door. God's Put a person in front of me that's hungry for the love of Jesus Christ. Let's go over here and let's just talk to the Jews. So this shows us how deep this went. This is a real pivotal issue inside of the early church. And we'll look and see what breaks this open, what changes things in verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists would be primarily influenced by the Greek culture. They still may be Jews, but they speak Greek, and they were even looked down upon by the other Jews. And we saw that earlier in the book of Acts. The Hellenistic Jews were being left out in the serving of the, of the tables. So here, we don't know their names. We don't know how many, but we know that they're from Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, First, Antioch is 300 miles north of Caesarea. So if you look at a map of Israel and you go up 300 miles, you will come to Antioch, which is in Syria. It's modern-day Syria that I'm 
know you've been hearing about in the news, just below Turkey. So this is where the city of Antioch is. Also, we know that Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Only Rome and Alexandria were bigger. There was a big population of Jews, but also of pagan temple worship, which involved prostitution. Historically, Antioch was so vile that it was known to spread to other cities throughout the Roman Empire. So that's a little bit about Antioch. And here's some people. It says some men from Cyprus, which is not too far from Antioch, but Cyrene is North Africa, North Africa. And they decide when we go to Antioch, we're not going to do business as usual. And sometimes as a church and as Christians, we have to examine some of our habits to see if they're formed by God's word or the traditions of men. This is a tradition of men, not God's will, that they wouldn't hang out with Gentiles and share the love of Jesus Christ. And sometimes as a church and as individuals, we've got to stop and say, are we missing it? Is there something that we're not doing that God would have us do? And these guys have that aha type of moment. And they go, we need to go to the Hellenists. We need to go to those Greeks. We need to go to the unreached. And there's a movement of God. And the church needs movements. We pray for revival. We pray for God to do a work. But it's when we get to a place where we're open to the leading and the following of the Holy Spirit, we say, oh, God, you want me to go to the unreached. You want me to take a step of faith. This is the way this passage stirs my heart, is for us to take steps of faith in what God has already declared that he's going to move in. God's already declared he's going to move in prayer when we pray according to his name, which is his character, his nature, and will. It's not blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, I get whatever I want. It's according to the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. We know that God's going to move through the gospel. As we love people, we care about them, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So when we take steps of faith in line with sharing Jesus with people, we know that God is going to move. We know that God has blessed giving. We see Jesus caring for people's needs. And as we move out in that, it's always fun to give, isn't it? It's not always fun to receive. Sometimes we receive a gift and we're not happy with it. We want to take it back. Did it come with a gift receipt, right? But it's always a blessing to give to somebody who is in need. So we begin to align our lives with the things that God has already said that he's going to move in. Bev and Woody, as they launch out in this endeavor, we can expect that God's going to move. Why? Because they're stepping out and what God's word has already said. And that's what these guys do. They're stepping out in faith in line with God's heart. This is my prayer for our lives, all of our lives, is I want us to know God's story in our own lives that glorifies God that we can pass on to future generations. I hope that all of us have the privilege at the end of our lives of sitting down with a group of friends kids, grandkids maybe, if you're, you're single, close friends, people that you've invested in and said, you know what, this is the times when we saw God move. We were praying for our neighbor. We wanted them to come to know Christ. We were looking for opportunities to share with them. And guess what? God moved and they came to know Christ as their Savior. And we want that testimony. We want that of being able to see the Lord work 
in our own hearts and in our own lives. This is these two men. This whole movement starts with these men from Cyprus, this men from Cyrene. We don't know how many when they chose to line themselves up with God's heart, go to the unreached. They spoke to the Hellenists, and what did they do? They preached to the Lord Jesus. They preached Christ's love for them, his death, and his resurrection. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God's looking and he's saying, You know, I want to show my strength to someone. Imagine God looking, scanning the earth. What, what could he be looking for? What's his heart? Someone that will trust him. Someone that will trust his promises. Someone who's loyal to the Lord, that will take those steps of faith. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That's all that matters. That's the most important thing, is God's hand to be with them. They lined themselves up with God's heart and God's hand was upon them. A beautiful prayer as we go through our days here on this earth. God, would your hand be upon my life? Would your hand be upon what I'm doing? That prayer in and of itself is purifying because it causes me to stop and think and go, can I ask that God would put his hand upon what my hand is doing? Oh no, God's hand wouldn't be upon this. And it begins to line ourselves up with the Lord. God, we need your hand. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. I like this. As they believed in Christ, they turned to the Lord. Believing in Jesus for salvation is turning towards him. It's turning away from sin and turning to him, wanting to walk in relationship where he's in control of our lives. Verse 22. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Like Twitter was in full swing here. Facebook and so these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, they get on their Facebook account and their Twitter account, and they're like, look at what God's doing. And the church in Jerusalem's like, sweet. I don't know how it happened, but word got down there 300 miles, probably more like snail mail as it went down to the church. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. This is pretty cool when you stop and think about it. They could have easily went, oh, praise the Lord, awesome. There's guys that are getting saved up in Antioch and men and women. This is great. But instead, they want to be a part of it and they want to support this movement. So they send Barnabas 300 miles. It's support, it's validation, it's accountability. But this mother church, this first church in Jerusalem, has a heart for what's taking place in Antioch. You know what would be the death of us as a church quicker than anything else is if we get self-focused and we get internally focused and we don't care about other churches and other believers and what the Lord is doing and to look outwardly. They made a good choice in who they sent, Barnabas. What do we know about Barnabas? We've seen him earlier in the book of Acts is that he was from Cyprus, which was close by, so that made him a good choice. He was also generous and he was a man who was thoughtful of others. He sold property to benefit others. He's an encourager. His name is the son of encouragement. A great time for an encourager to come. In verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he could see the tangible grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. He's saying, guys, so wonderful that God has come and 
saved you, and you're the child of God, now set your heart on the Lord. Purpose your heart to follow the Lord and to walk with the Lord. This is describing Barnabas in verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Three great attributes. A good man, not a perfect man, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas goes and he encourages and God begins to add more to the church. God's the one who who builds the church. Verse 25 is interesting. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus, which is in the region of, of Syria, to seek Saul. Now, why do you think he would seek Saul? One, we haven't seen Saul since his conversion. Chapter 9, verse 30. Most commentators believe it's been about seven years Saul, who's Paul, is living in obscurity, loving the Lord. But Barnabas was the one who introduced Paul to the other leaders in Jerusalem. He knew the potential inside of Paul, and he also knew his own limitations. And I think in the church of Antioch, we not only see a wonderful beginning, because they went to the unreached, they went to the outcasts, but we also see a really healthy church, because it's a whole entire body. Barnabas comes up to help and to encourage. But I think Barnabas is going, I'm not the best teacher in the world. I'm not going to be able to teach these guys the way they really need to be taught. So I'm going to encourage them, but I need to find a teacher. So I'm going to seek out Saul. He's a great teacher. And he's not being used as effectively as he could be up there in Tarsus. We need to know where we fit inside of the body of Christ. Now, what if my big toe this evening, and I'll spare you the sight of my big toe. So I've got some pretty infamous, awesome, grotesque toes. My, my toes rival fingers. They really do. I mean, you've seen the size of my hands. I'll let you imagine the size of my toes, right? So what if my big toe, with a little bit of hair on it, decided that it really needed to be the nose? Now, I don't have the most attractive nose in the world either. I mean, it's the tall Frenchman with the big nose. Here I am. But it would be much, much worse. This would be much worse if my big toe were my nose. Amen? Amen. Agreed? But how many times in the body of Christ do we want to be somebody else? We go, wow, they're, they're a great evangelist. They're able to see so many people come to know Christ as their Savior. They sneeze and people come to the Lord. I want that gift. Allow me to be an evangelist. Everybody wants to be a worship leader, me included. You know, it's like, I wish that I had the golden pipes and I could just sing and, oh, electric guitar would be awesome for me. I'd love to be able to rock out on the electric guitar. We have to know who God's made us to be and function inside of that. And Barnabas, he knows, I'm an encourager. I'm not the best teacher, so let me go find a teacher. And he seeks out Saul, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were first given the name Christian in Antioch. Notice what Paul does when he comes to Antioch is he taught them. He is a good teacher. That was his primary spiritual gift. So we have those that come as evangelists. We have Barnabas who encourages, and we have Paul who teaches. The body is functioning together as a whole. This phrase Christian, it means 
little Christ. That's what Christian means, if you've ever been wondering. And it was first given in Antioch because the city had been impacted so much. They're saying there's a bunch of Christ followers here. They're Christ juniors, if there would. They're little Christ. What a compliment that was given to them. In verse 27, and in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, another functioning member of the body, that they're going to come in the prophetic gifts. And they travel the 300 miles as well. And they have a word from the Lord about the future. In verse 28, then one of them named Agabus, another great name for a son, if you're wanting to get back to the Bible. Aggie, you could call him Aggie for short, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all of the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, estimated to be 41 to 54 A.D. Now, before you go off and say, thus says the Lord, you need to be very careful. It's not something that we could take lightly, that we can just start be throwing these things out there in, in the name of the Lord. This man, Agabus, he'd heard from the Spirit. He felt confident in speaking out that the Lord was showing him this. And God was preparing his people for a difficult time, for a famine that was on the horizon. Verse 29, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Israel, southern Israel, was hit very severely by this famine. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of of Barnabas and Saul. So we see churches in different regions of different ethnicity loving each other, caring for each other. The church of Jerusalem is sending people this 300 miles. Paul's coming from Tarsus, another region, all to care for what the Lord is doing in in this particular place. And then we find these believers caring for them down in Jerusalem who are in a place of famine, though they've never even met them before. This is the body of Christ. Maybe you haven't factored it in before, but we are part of something that is so large that we can't even comprehend. We're just one little, little small piece, Rocky Mountain Calvary, of the body of Christ as a whole. And sometimes when there's tragedy that hits other believers in different parts of the country, we'll take a special offering and we'll send it to them. I'm, I'm convinced even that we've experienced that in our own community as we've had flat fires in Black Forest and the Waldo Canyon fire is Christians came from all over the United States to come and help in those two disasters. We've seen that in very, very tangible ways. Samaritan's Ministries headquartered here out of Rocky Mountain Calvary for the relief effort in the Waldo Canyon fire. And they also came back for the Black Forest fire and headquartered out of Mountain Springs because it's closer to, to the fire. And then Christians came from all over the state. Christians came from Texas. I know there's Christians down there too. It's crazy, but <laughs> all over just to come and help with the, the cleanup and sifting through homes in, in our city. The body of Christ is really good at rallying in, in crisis. Maybe you're struggling and going, you know, do I connect with the body of Christ? Absolutely, absolutely. It's worth choosing a local fellowship and pressing into it, saying this is going to be my church home, whether it's here or someone else, somewhere else. Pick a healthy church to make it your church home. Look to give to others and to be able to receive from others because we know this. Life is going to provide us some tragedies, isn't it? there's going to be some famines of some sort that we go through in life of some 
color, nature, form, and we're going to need the body. We can't get through it without the relationship of the body of Christ. And a lot of times we long for friends, but we've got to be friendly. We've got to reach out to others. We've got to connect with the body of Christ and, and serve. And you'll be so thankful for those relationships. Sometimes we're able to walk with people that go through severe tragedy and they don't know Christ as their Savior. And God will bring them into the life of this church. And it's mind-blowing. They have no support. Absolutely no support. People that don't know Christ, they don't oftentimes think of, oh, you just lost a child? Let's cook you meals. You just lost a child? Let me check in with you and, and see how you're going. They just don't know how to deal with it. And they just move on like, like nothing ever, ever happened. And it's a very beautiful and wonderful thing to be able to be part of the body and care for one, one another. And you guys are really good at that. I love to, to see the, the love and the affection that happens between one another at, at RMC. So what do we see in this chapter of Acts 11? Is God's moving. And we are blessed when we move out with him. As the Lord is on the move, to say, Lord, I want to obey you. So here's a simple application for all of us this week. Is take one step of faith that you know lines up with God's heart. Maybe it's to say, I'm going to pray in a specific way, in a specific area. This lines up with God's heart. I'm going to go for it. Okay, I know God's heart is to love. So I'm going to step out in an act of love. I know God's heart's to share the gospel. So I'm going to invest in someone and look for an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. Okay, I know that there's tangible needs. And here's a need that's been put in front of me. Just one step of faith. One step of faith and be obedient to that and watch and see what God does. But this is what I know is I don't just want to study the book of Acts from an informational setting. I do enjoy that. But I want to experience the book of Acts. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. And we know the world is in need of his touch more than ever. Amen? So let's stand and pray.